we're ending this series this morning, Heaven on Earth, and we're going to do something different. I don't think we've ever done anything like this before, but I felt like God speak, uh, really spoke to me at the beginning of this year and just gave me a word for our church, and that is this word, freedom. And I tell you, I'm excited because I'm hearing stories of people's lives change, and God's doing a work of freedom in my life. Honestly, in 2019, I'm experiencing breakthrough like I've never experienced in certain areas of my life, and I hope it was a word of God for our church. If nothing else, it was a word of God for me, all right? And, but I believe this is a year of freedom. One of the things that I really wanted to be strategic about was sharing stories of freedom and sharing stories of life change. And so we're going to do, do this a little bit different. Is that all right this morning? And whether you're okay with it or not, we're still going to do it this morning. I just thought I'd be nice and ask. But I tell you, I, I really felt God lead me to three people who I know God has worked in their life. And this morning, instead of me just getting up here and preaching God's word, I'm going to let their story share God's word. And uh, we're going we're gonna to share some testimonies. And I've, I've asked these three individuals, Lee, Megan, and Chad, to come and share what God has done in their life. And I, I, here's what I would love to happen is realizing this, is that, you know what, we all, we all have some scars. We all have some struggles. And I think what happens often in church is that we see everybody at their best on Sunday morning. We think, man, they've got it all together. Can I tell you, that is the furthest thing from the truth, all right? I'm the first one to admit. And I think there's something that happens when we roll up our sleeves and we don't just share our successes, but we show our scars, I think there's freedom that happens in that. And so today, I'm excited. I've asked Lee to come first and share a little bit about his story, about his background. You know that, and if you didn't, he's the director of our food pantry. God is blessing and using that in a mighty way. Keep your hands together and welcome Lee Shelka. Thanks, man. Wow, holy cow. Good morning, Bay Chapel. I just want to say um, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I don't take it lightly. And um, God bless. Have a nice day. (laughs) Anyway, a little story, um, quite a story. People always say to me, you know, where do you get this energy from? Where do you do this from? What are you doing um, with this pantry and all this stuff? And um, some people tell me, you need help and all this stuff uh, and all that. But anyway, um, I grew up in the city of Chicago um, with my father. Grew up as a young entrepreneur. He paid my way through. I grew up Catholic through Catholic schools, um, high school and all that. I never went to school, never read a book, never took algebra. Don't know anything about it, but yet I got A's and B's and got diplomas and all that stuff. But I worked. I worked in his many businesses. And um, not college smart, but he called me street smart. He passed away. We came to Florida. I had a business here in Florida. He passed away. And then I said, hey, you know, I'm going to go do my own thing. So I did. I started a business. Um, People said I was crazy, and it grew and grew and grew. And um, in the first four years, I made my first million dollars. I was a self-made millionaire at a very young age. And a man that was full of greed, that really didn't know Jesus, that knew I knelt now. I put my envelope in now. I did all that stuff. I was an altar boy as a young boy. I swung the smoky chain and did all that stuff and carried the candles. But I really didn't know who Jesus was. I knew he died on a cross and stuff. But anyway, um, after 10 years of having this huge business, one day I woke up to the Wall Street Journal and people called me saying, Hey, you know that bank you got, blah, 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 in your pocket? Because I had a private limousine, I had cars, boats, all that stuff that the world says is fun. Um, check out the article in the Wall Street Journal. My main lender that did all of this business with me um, falsified their income statements. And the federal government came down and a bunch of people went to jail. And wow, 
talk about taking away my lifeblood of cash flow and running a big, huge business with 70 employees, three locations, multi-multi-million dollar thing, was wiped out. I went into a state of panic, sold one of the places off, fired a whole bunch of people, downsized, downsized, and after two years of fighting that battle, I never recovered. Um, I lost probably half a million dollars in like three weeks. The place closed, and in closing, obviously after 10 years, it was a heart attack, and um, what am I going to do? So I got a lawyer, and the lawyer was like, oh, don't worry about it. This is no big deal. We'll defuse it and this and that. So I moved to Orlando to start a new life and start a new thing. Matter of fact, I was broke. I got an apartment in a place that offered three months free rent. Um, and we started a thing. I got a job. So I'm working at my job, and this dude kept coming to my desk every day, putting this little Bible track with a yellow smiley face on it on my desk. And I said to him, look, man, you do that one more time. I'm going to break your kneecaps. I don't want, leave me alone, man. And he kept doing it, he kept doing it, he kept doing it. One day, I thought we were going out for beers after work. And to my surprise, him and his girlfriend picked me up, and we ended up going to a place called Starlight Baptist Church in Orlando, Florida. I was in there, I was so angry, and I listened to this pastor. His name is Dr. Pastor Glenn C. Riggs. And his picture's probably going to be up there in a second. But after the service, he stepped me and said, you got a real fear in your eyes. What's going on with you? You okay? And the young man introduced me to him. I said, well, quite honestly, I had a big problem in my life. And um, they're threatening me with sending me to jail and prison and all that stuff. And he said, well, you know, God's in control. Do you know who Jesus is? And I said, yeah, he's this good guy, blah, 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 dying on the cross. And he's like, no, do you know the Romans road? Have you given your life to Christ? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, get on your knees, let's pray. And he walked me down the Romans road. Many, two years went by, a fight in the legal system, blah, 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 courts, in and out of courts. And ultimately, the state prosecutors brought me in. They said, hey, we got something for you. We got your plea deal. Sign here, you're going to prison for 30 years. And um, talk about a heart attack. So um, back to church, praying with Dr. Riggs, blah, blah, blah. He came and testified on my behalf in court. Ultimately, I got an eight-year prison sentence. He told me, I sat in his office. He said, look, you're going to prison, but don't look at it as a curse. You don't know how to do time, Lee. You're not a seasoned criminal. So just give the time to God and say, God, you do the time, but I'm going to be lovable, available, teachable. Use me. You're going on a long mission trip. And I looked at him and I said, are you crazy? I'm sitting in an eight by 10 cell with a metal toilet and a little bunk, and I'm going on a missions trip? Wow, what a prophecy. Because what started happening, they switched me up to a place called Weewahitchka, Florida. Way up north, there's a place called Gulf Correctional Institution. I was there, started finding out. There's guys here that pray. There's services here within prison. They let you go to church a lot. I started meeting these different guys. And there was like a Christian movement inside prison. I never saw it coming. Seeing broken men. In prison, you get no money. There's no cash. But you could put, um, send someone money, and they give you a little ID card, and it's like a credit card. There's a canteen. A ramen soup in prison is like filet mignon to us out here in the free world. Bologna is green in prison. Peanut butter is gray. All this weird stuff. Um, so I started getting soups. Deodorant. There's no air conditioning in Florida prisons. It's hotter than blazes in these dormitories. Guys don't get deodorants, and their family's coming to see them, and you stink, and you never quit sweating, and it's so hot. So I started a pantry, and guys that needed a stamp to mail a letter to their children, I'd give them a stamp, I'd bless them, I'd invite them to church, I'd give them a Raymond soup when they said they were hungry. And it was true. Um, Revival began in prison. And people said, you got the Joseph spirit, man. These dudes are praying with you, 60, 70 men at a time in big circles, praying out on the yard, the rec yard. They come to me with a list of 18 men and says, hey, man, these guys want to get baptized. There's 18 guys on a list. And I said, baptized? There's no baptismals here in prison. So I start talking to the staff and officers now. And I said, hey, these guys want to get baptized. One of them one day calls me. We're at what we call a sally port where they let everything in and out of the prison, the trucks, the laundry and all that. And in the back of his truck, he has a horse trough. He says, carry this in the visiting park with me. We're going to fill it with water. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? So he puts his baptismal, turned out to be this horse trough, 
hands me a garden hose, says, plug this in over there. I said, I can't. That's escape paraphernalia. You're gonna, they're going to think I'm throwing over the fence and running away. He said, inmate, I said, hook it up and fill it up. So I did. That night, 18 guys came in their state boxer shorts. The chapel was full, and they all sang Amazing Grace and acapella. And one at a time, the chaplain came, and 18 guys got baptized in that baptismal. That was my number one and first miracle. But during that, the lieutenant on staff came in and said, what are you all doing to my highly waxed floor? Get against the wall, inmates. I'm locking you all up. And she was angry. Everyone stood in amazement, and they kept singing Amazing Grace. And then she stood back, and she said, Shalka, what's going on here? I said, they're getting baptized, ma'am. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I've been doing this 20 years. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And she started crying. And the guys kept singing, and the water was splashing on the floor, and they all got baptized. And they kept getting saved. And every, I got transferred to 11 different prisons during my eight-year sentence. Everywhere I went, God used me to do baptism. It was an anointing. It was crazy. So going on down the thing, um, traveling through prison, my core scripture is Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Everyone stops at 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, and I know a place I pray and when you're in prison, I will listen. If you look for me in earnest, you will find me when you seek me. I will be found by you, says the Lord, a promise. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I'm not a millionaire, but man, I'm rich in Jesus. Amen. I will gather you out of nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. He brings me to Polk Correctional Institution where I get visited by Dr. Glenn C. Riggs. And I'm in the visiting park and a friend of a friend has a friend. And I meet this lady. And I start to talk to her and not much was going on. And then finally she says to me, I said, can I hold your hand? And she says, why, you want to pray? It took guts. I hadn't seen a woman in six years to ask her to hold her hand. And she says, you want to pray? I'm like, I just want to hold your hand. Anyhow, several months later, we got engaged. She's sitting right there. My wife married me while I was locked up. More baptisms, more stuff. September 25th, 2010, she picked me up. I was set free out of that captivity, per the promise of Jeremiah. Couldn't find work. God placed on my heart to start my own little business. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm thinking. I'm trying. I go to a chamber of commerce meeting. Here's this dude sitting there at the check-in counter. And the logo of the company had a cross on it. And he looks at me and says, hey, it's a sign of the cross. Are you a Jesus freak? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. He said, well, I'll talk to you later. So during the meeting, he comes to me and says, my name is Wes Morris. I just started a new church down there in Pasco County. And I said, oh, the dude with the sign. There's a sign. No perfect people wanted. Ken and Barbie were on it. I said, I've seen the sign. So my wife and I had come to Bartell several years ago to church. And they're doing baptism on that Sunday. She cried the whole time. Again, every time we do baptism, there's an anointing. We become good friends. He said, what's your vision for the community? I said, man, there's got to be hungry people out here. Let's start a pantry. He looks at me. I've been to many churches in the area saying, I teach couponing, trying to feed our kids when I came home. Couldn't get a job. He lets me start teaching couponing as a life group and in the church. People are jumping on board. One day, a lady from church, Barb Campbell, steps to me and says, hey, I know you want to start a pantry. We can't afford a building. There's not much money. She puts a $1,000 gift card to Home Depot in my pocket and says, there's a building for sale at Home Depot. Go get it. We got it. And it's been on ever since. We started the pantry. People kept donating food. Now, from one little 10 by 10 shed, we have two 8 by 20 buildings out there serving hundreds of families a month. Winn-Dixie, Christian Brothers, Feeding Tampa Bay. Okay? The abundance of Jesus Christ, taking a broken down guy like me out of prison no one's ever asked me any questions about, who are you? What's with you, man? You're, you're an ex-con. Well, so is Jesus. So anyway, he'll get over it. <laughs> so all this stuff went on and on and on. And now here I am telling my story to you all. And there's more. I could go on for hours. I'm already out of time. 
So Come on, let's God. give it up for Lee. Amen. Hang on. Give me one second. I have to say something. Where God takes you, he will provide for you. Thank you first to this guy, Big Dub Wes, and his wife, Jen, my <laughs> wife, Michelle. And look at these guys, Jeff Bradley, Mark and Beth Sponberg, Gene Sipley, right there, Steve, Wes, uh, Will Perez and his wife, and many, many, many others. Ed Pereira that have helped this thing and grown this thing for God's glory. Thank you, Bay Chapel. Hey, hang on one sec. Hang on one sec. Isn't God good, everybody? Amen. <laughs> took too long. No, you're good. Hang with me for a second, Lee. Hang with me for a second. Listen, I told Lee, I said, I, I don't think we can squeeze this into eight minutes. You have like a four-part sermon series in your testimony. You, you can't hear his testimony and go, God, God didn't do that. I mean, this is all Jesus right here. And the more you get to know him, you realize it's all Jesus. I, I mean, it really is. You laugh too loud, Michelle, but <laughs> grab that mic one more second. Hey, let me let me just encourage somebody today because maybe they're not maybe they're not in, in prison physically, but maybe they're in a prison in their life and they don't feel like they can break out. What do you say to somebody who's going through the lowest of lows, worst of worst? How, how do they get out? Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct thy paths. Come on, good, good. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Lovely. And I think what he's saying is get the word so deep in you that when the trials come, you know where to turn. Because he's just quoting Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And uh, that, that's the power that gets us through those worst situations. Man, what an incredible testimony. This lady is uh, a ph- phenomenal person. She's involved in so many ways at Bay Chapel. Their family has probably only been here for about a year or so, right? And Megan is a, just a great photographer, has a business, helps in that area, and that ministry here at Bay Chapel, helps on our kids' check-in team. She's probably, you've seen her smile as you checked her kids in. But what you uh, didn't realize or don't know is that there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt behind that smile things that she's gone through, and her testimony is powerful, and I know that it relates to so many of us. So would you help me welcome Megan as she comes? Well, you just took my two-minute intro. (laughs) Um, How do you follow the prison preacher? Like, so good. Um, Anyway, my name is Megan. First of all, I'm the one that was over there jumping up and down during worship because worship is, like, amazing. It's so good. So good. We have like the best worship team ever. Um, If you want a glimpse of heaven, that's worship. So I have been at Bay Chapel for about a year now. Um, We moved from Virginia about a year and a half ago. We moved with no jobs and on a literal wing and a prayer, as we like to call it. Um, We really felt led and we've been here since. That's another story that I'm not here to talk about. But um, I have a husband. I was going to say I have kids, but first I have a husband. His name is William. You may have seen him around as well. He actually serves on the security team. Actually, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Security. (laughs) Um, Anyway, he serves on the security team and I have two children, Ava and Abram. One is six, my daughter and Abram just turned three and they are amazing. So I do do some of the pictures around here. Photography is my trade, but momming is pretty much my full-time gig at this point in my life. Um, So I'm going to jump right in. Uh, You know, since I was a child, I have battled really intense fear and anxiety. And we're not talking about like when you see a lion and you get that instinctive fear to run. 
Um, we're talking about fear that was just constant all the time. From probably about eight years old, I just wasn't normal. Uh, I grew up in a normal home, no real issues. We went to church, we did the church things, and um, I just wasn't normal. And I remember just being like eight years old and all my friends would be outside playing and I would literally be sitting in a chair weeping and saying, I can't go out and play. My mom would be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, well, what if I break my leg when I'm out there? Or I then developed into like an eating disorder where I was afraid of choking and just all these extreme irrational fears that really had no source. And I remember going to countless counselors and trying to help me and prayed all the prayers and and all the things. And I still was in this intense battle. This battle followed me ebbs and flows. I learned how to kind of conceal it. The good thing was I really got good at hiding it. I got really good. I remember I could just like literally be standing here and have a panic attack and none of you would ever know. I got so good at wearing this facade because I felt ashamed. I felt insecure. I was like, if people find out that this is what I'm dealing with, they're going to think I'm crazy. If people know, because it it wasn't even like now I feel like it's becoming more of a uh, known thing and people are getting help and talking about it. But even then, just even like 16 years ago, it wasn't. And as a kid, you just heard like, you're fine. Just get over it. But these were the kind of fears that I literally could not function in daily life. Um, I fast forward to through my middle school and high school years, I had the same same situation, different things, same situation. I countlessly had no opportunities. I would take none of them. I wouldn't make any decisions. I was fearful to do absolutely anything. When I reached college, I was starting to have five and six panic attacks a day. I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but it literally feels like you're dying. So pretty much I was dying five or six times a day. Um, And it was the worst of the worst of the worst. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And the hardest part of that is I could look, stand here and look completely normal, but on the inside I was dying. I was dying. Spiritually, I was just so dead. (laughs) And... I remember just praying, God, like, if this is the life that you have for me, because I knew Jesus, I had a really good head knowledge of who God was, but I don't think I fully understood how much he loved me. And so fear became my definer. Fear became my label. It became my identity, just like a jacket that I would put on every day. Everything I did was cast in fear. And so I walked my life in fear. And in college, I could not function. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I was having five and six panic attacks a day. I failed completely out of college because I couldn't function. Couldn't even go to class. And so I remember I got out of school and I was like, what is my life? Here I am, someone who loves you, God. Where are you? Why have you left me here? And, um, you know, if it wasn't for God's grace, Jesus... (laughs) If it wasn't for his grace, I don't think that I would be standing here today. Um, I slipped into depression, and depression is something completely different from anxiety. It is something where you literally don't get out of bed. You don't do anything. Everything, you're just weeping. You're just a mess. Nothing, everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. I had zero hope, and I just found myself staring down this dark hallway. I saw no light. The only way I can explain it is, like, if you were in the water and it was like covering your head, and you were looking up, and you know that you're drowning, and you can see everybody, but nobody can see you, and you're just, you're you're like, you're trying to get to the top, and that's what it felt like, because what ends up happening, and what I hope, I know that sounds so heavy, but what I want to encourage you with is, I have overcome, because I'm standing here today, and I want to tell you that God is in the business of overcoming. He can redeem your story, and my story is not done. 
I'm still walking through daily. I have to make a choice to not choose fear and not let it define me because I have to know the truth. The Bible says in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I had to find out what the truth was. And I want to encourage you today with that truth. The truth is that you may not be able to control every circumstance that comes into your wheelhouse, but you can control how you respond. You can control what lies you allow the enemy to take root in your heart. You can put them here, but then take them away. Don't let them take root in your heart. And then as God just begins to shape and mold you, even if you're afraid, do it afraid. Let God take you into the unknown. Let him show you his love. So the truth is that God loves you, that God cares for you, that he literally sent his only son to die for you and for me. That was the biggest thing is that if there was nobody else in this room, that he would literally die for just me. And that was so powerful to me that he would literally care about just me so that he saw me in those times when I was weeping and like, God, what am I doing? And that he sees me now even today. And I know that maybe, maybe you haven't struggled exactly with the same type of fear that I have. Mine was super irrational, but all of us have faced some sort of fear, some sort of doubt, some sort of insecurity that has kept us bound. And I just want to encourage you that there is no greater freedom in Jesus than when we take off that identity and we put on his identity and we're willing to just walk regardless. And we can trust that he'll meet us in the unknown. So... I really hope that's encouraging. Yeah, come on, let's give it up. <laughs> I want to hang here for just a minute because I, I think if we're being honest and if you're battling anxiety, the last thing you want to do is raise your hand and admit you're dealing with anxiety, right? But there's people in the room that are bound by anxiety. Like some of you, you, you could hardly sleep last night. The pressure of your job, the situation. Some of you high school students are so wrapped up in who you're trying to become because you want to be loved and liked by your friends. And we're, we're so driven by technology. We're constantly on our phone. We, we're, we're craving the next thing. And I think some of us have fallen into a trap where we're just looking for the next so much. And we're with so much stimulation all around us that's created this world of anxiety that we live in. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? It's not just me. And I relate to your story because I, I haven't had five or six, but I remember there were panic attacks at night where I, I felt like I couldn't feel my legs and wonder what was going on. And just, it's, it's a scary thing. And so just practically for somebody in the room that's maybe dealing with anxiety, uh, Megan, what would you say, one or two things that they could do, even just takeaways from this morning um, to take a next step towards the Lord? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing is, the word. I know that sounds really cliche, but you really, even if you don't feel it's working, keep going because he's faithful to go through all that. And then practically, um, you know, I saw a lot of counselors and uh, the one at the end stuck. That sounds awful. But anyway, I saw when she told me like, sometimes you just have to take the step. And if there's something specifically that you're dealing with in fear, you have to actually just do it and allow God to meet you there. The biggest thing was I just was afraid of the unknown and that God, I was safe here, even in the prison I was in. So just taking that step and courage. That's good. One more time. Let's give it up. (laughs) 
Man, this last guy is uh, such a near and dear part uh, of our family and this ministry. He's been at Bay Chapel since day one. I love this man, Pastor Chad Clower. Would you give it up for him? Good morning, guys. It's, uh, it's definitely an honor and privilege to be up here this morning sharing my story. I know I've been on stage a few times, but never, never in this way. And, um, you know, I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about, you know, everything that God has taught me and, and how he saved me and freed me. But the one thing I want you to be able to take away from this morning, like no matter what I say or what you hear this morning, is that my story isn't over yet. Like as I'm standing here in front of you this morning speaking, God is still writing my story and he's still writing your story all the way up until Jesus returns and we enter into eternity into heaven with him. He's writing our story. So we'll just start off with that. How about that? Okay. Uh, So I started, uh, you know, I grew up in church also uh, my whole life, Um, knew Jesus, went to Sunday school. I was baptized when I was nine years old. Um, I remember sitting in the pew one Sunday next to my mom, listening to the preacher talk and my pastor and I just felt this tug in my heart that I knew God was calling me into ministry. I knew I wanted to do that someday. And uh, I remember telling my mom about that. And uh, when I was in college, through some friends that got a place in my life, God validated that calling. And uh, so that's what I started to do. I started to prepare and, and study for ministry. And um, fast forward through my college years. And when you fast forward through my college years, you have to hit the button a couple of times. And uh, like make it move a little faster. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because I was there for just a couple extra years. Uh, but uh, when I finally graduated, uh, I moved my young family down to Florida uh, to a youth ministry position down there. And uh, man, I was not ready. Uh, within six months, I had failed in my marriage. I had resigned from the church I was serving at. I was back home living with my mom in Ohio. And I was just reeling. I, I had failed my family. I had failed that church. I had failed my parents. I, I had failed my friends. I had failed myself. And most importantly, I had failed God. Like everything that I felt like he was leading me towards and I was working towards. And I did not bounce back quickly. Um, I lost some friendships. I lost a lot of respect. And uh, I kind of made this agreement with myself that uh, I blew it. So I might as well just embrace it. And I just kind of lived as a failure for a few years. And uh, fast forward through that time, and uh, I got my life back in shape and turned my life around and was blessed enough to marry Tiffany, uh, which is, yes, this is a whole other story um, for another day. And we've been so blessed to watch God grow our family. Um, But I was living in a shadow, like, I knew that I had gotten things worked out with God and that I had confessed and asked for forgiveness, but it didn't matter how many times I did that, I could not shake this feeling of like shame and and guilt that I carried around. It followed me around everywhere I went. And here's the deal, like I walked through that period of my life for way too long. (laughs) Um, Finally, through the help of some really open and honest conversations with how I was feeling, I was able to kind of get to the, the bottom of this, the source of these feelings. And, and God began to show me that these were lies, lies from the enemy. And they were his last ditch efforts to keep me from being free, from living, from living in the freedom that God was trying to give me. And the way that those lies manifested themselves in me were like in three different ways. Like my identity, like I, I thought like 
man, like, why was I called by God? Like, why would God call somebody he, he knew who was going to fail, right? Like, I, I must not be who I thought I was. In fact, I don't really know who I am anymore. And, and when I was, you know, around other people, really hard to feel like I could just be myself and feel accepted. Like, man, if I'm ever going to have any credibility ever again, I better keep my story to myself, right? And if I ever want people to accept me for who I am, I better maybe change my story a little bit, right? And, and not really divulge the full details. And it also put me in this, like, position of, like, control. Like, I had failed so bad, I felt like I was on my own, and now I'm in charge of writing my own story. Like, I got to figure this out. I got to work hard. And so, like, man, I squeezed really, really tightly. And it wasn't, you know, until I began to, to recognize that, like, I had accepted these agreements and, and, and I began to see them as the lies that they were, that through the power of Jesus, I was able to name those lies and break those agreements in my life. And, and once those lies were exposed and, and those agreements were broken, I began to like see my story in a, in a different way. I actually began to see my story, not as my own story, but actually this is God's story of how he's redeeming me and how he's showing, how, showing me how much he loves me. And my, and my story is different than your story. Uh, but, but I think this is true. I, I think this is true for all of us, that when we finally surrender to God, surrender to the story he's writing for us and experience his freedom, like our story becomes his story. Yes. Our story becomes the story of, of his grace, of his love, his forgiveness, of his redemption, Stories of, of how he sets his people free. There's a verse I love that I, I've kind of clinged to over the years, and it's a promise to me that no matter how much I mess things up and, and how hopeless uh, my situation is, that God is actually the one writing my story, and he has the final say. It's in Romans 8.28, and it says this, and it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And when we trust God with our story, like no matter how messed up like we think it is, and, and when we make the decision to finally accept like the truth of his love and his grace and forgiveness, we quit buying into the lies that, I mean, I'm just too far gone, or I've, I messed up too many times, or I've, it's too big. Like there is freedom when we accept the story that God has for us, and when we, and we see it in, through his eyes. Because in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And every one of you guys sitting in here today has purpose. And I said at the beginning that no matter what you hear me say today, um, I want you to be able to take away this. is like God is not finished with you yet. Your story is not done being written. Mm. And I'm just so thankful to, to be here today. Like my story is not done either. And God has been able to take things that have been strongholds in my life, my identity, and change them around to show me that I'm not, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I am who he says I am. Amen. Amen. And, and I don't have to worry about being accepted because it's not my story that you need to accept. It's God's story that you need to worry about accepting, right? And, and the more that I let go and let God control my story, man, the, the more things kind of work out a little bit better if you know what I'm saying. Amen. Hey, let me just, yeah, so good. I just want to take a second because I know that 
just speak, we've, we've tackled three way different stories this morning and connected with a lot of different people. And I know this is that in our church, there are people that are walking through brokenness in their relationships. There are people that are walking through the failure of their past and still trying to get freedom from that. And maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe it's a, a poor decision they made some mistakes, something that the enemy just keeps bringing to their mind. What would you say to, to our church this morning and specifically to those relationships, how to step into the freedom that God has for them? Yeah. Well, this is, this is hard because it, like I said, it took me a lot of years to figure that, to figure this out. Um, but I, I think it just comes down into believing that God is who he says he is. I mean, you either believe what he says in his word or you don't. I, I grew up in the church my whole life, and I, and I claim that I know God. <laughs> but when push came to shove and I was at my worst, I didn't know what to do <laughs> until I finally let go and just started to believe that God loves me. God is faithful to forgive, and God has freedom when we can let go and just surrender our lives to him. Awesome, so. man. Awesome. One more time for Chad, Megan, Lee. Come on, let's give it up, guys. Let's give it up. Man. Give it up. Hey, we're going to close in just a minute. I don't know about you, but this is life-giving to me. Man, I tell you what, I just feel an atmosphere of faith in here. An, a- an atmosphere that says, you know what, God? You can change my story. You can change my life. And my, my prayer for you today is that if you're walking in the pain of your past, and you've never experienced that freedom, number one, give it over to God. And then second, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Revelation says this, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And if there's one driving thought that I just wanna leave with you, we're gonna, we're gonna sing that song, Reckless Love, in just a minute as we leave, as we close. And then we're going to do something different this morning. As we're leaving, we'll dismiss you. But if today you want to experience freedom in some area of your life, or maybe today your heart is, is broken, and you just need to lay some things at the altar of God, we'll just open up this front area, and we'll have a few of our prayer team here. We just love to pray with you and encourage you. Just build your faith today to know that, man, my, my story is still being written, that God's not done with me. And if there's just one underlying thought I, I want to leave with you is this. It's, it's taking the step and realizing this. In order to walk in freedom, I have to disconnect who I am from what I've done. I have to disconnect who I am from what I've done. My identity is not my mistake. My, my identity is also not my success. My identity is Jesus. I love I love the story way back in the day. It was, it was the World Series. A guy, Willie McCovey, for the San Francisco Giants, had blown a World Series game, and he got to those post-game interviews. You know the kind where they just grill the guys, and the last thing you want to do is, is answer a question. And I'll never forget hearing the story about Willie McCovey's answer. Now, what, what do you have to say for yourself? Blowing, blowing a World Series game. I loved your response. He paused and he said this. He said, it's not my life and it's not my wife and I ain't gonna worry about it.
Listen, you may have blown some games, but it is not your identity. You may have be dealing with anxiety and depression, discouragement, but that is not who God says you are. Your failed marriage, your brokenness, whatever you're going through today, walk today in the newness that God has for you. Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Would you just bow your heads as we close today?